Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Sale Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. We're almost to the weekend, the first true weekend really of the new year. So hope everyone is enjoying it so far. A lot that I want to talk about that are, is going on around the world of Hollywood right now. A few trending trailers that I want to get into. I'm also going to be getting into some news regarding the Napoleon movie that is being directed by Ridley Scott. There was a casting shakeup that happened a couple days ago, so I'm going to be getting into that and so much more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about since yesterday was Wednesday, and as a lot of Wednesdays now have with Disney Plus out with brand new content on streaming right now, we usually get a brand new show. Something major comes out on Wednesday, and right now it is the book of Boba Fett, and we had episode two happen yesterday, and I'm really invested into this show right now. I've been really looking forward to it. The premiere episode of Book of Boba Fett, I really did enjoy. I thought it was a a great introduction and kind of opening salvo to this spinoff chapter that we're getting into this bounty hunter and taking over the the, the crime lands of Tatooine. And I've been I've been really enjoying it, and I've been looking forward to what we're going to be getting with this show in the the weeks to come. And I know some people weren't big fans of, of the first episode, but I, I think people would get around to it in the second one. And again. This is a non-spoiler review. We're not going to be getting into any major details here. I'll probably do one on either Monday or Tuesday of next week. Again, I like to get people to watch the episode since it is happening on a Wednesday. It used to be on a Friday, so people would have the weekend to watch it. But since this, they get a couple days and then they'll get the weekend to watch it, then we can talk about it leading up to the next chapter that will be coming out on Monday and Tuesday to do a full spoiler detailed breakdown of everything. So right now, it's going to be vague details, just giving my basic knowledge in my basic review of the episode and this one is titled the tribes of tatooine and the first episode was called stranger in a strange land and again i really enjoyed the premiere episode i and I, but i was really looking forward to seeing what was going to become of this and what they're setting up in this show and i really really love this episode i think it actually isn't just my favorite episode of only two that we've gotten in this show but when you look at all of these star wars episodes so far between mandalorian and this i think it's up there with some of the best of mando just in the way that they're able to focus on this one specific character and the journey that he's able to go on and i think when you watch this episode specifically also, just to point out, it is 52 minutes, which is, I think, when you look at, again, the combined seasons of Mandalorian, it is the longest-running Star Wars episode to date at clocking in at around 52 minutes. With credits, when you take out the credits, it's probably around 48, 49, 50 minutes in total. So it's definitely one that stretches itself out in the best way possible, and it, it allows you to live in this show and gives you a sense of identity for where they want to take things moving forward. And I think with this episode, they there was a lot of pulling from different properties, which Star Wars always does, but I think it, it pulled not just from Westerns or, or from gangster movies and TV shows, but that also pulled from from books and movies such as Dune, which, again, Star Wars is heavily influenced just overall by the landscape of, of what Dune is. But also, it has very much similarities to something like Dances with Wolves and also Lawrence of Arabia and the way that they, just in this one episode, tell this kind of, bring this epic scale to this story that is also very, very personable. And I think the, the way that they're telling 
Boba Fett's story in both the past and the present is done so, so well in a surprising manner. And one of the great things about, again, television and streaming, and again, we've seen it with the Star Wars shows so far, we've seen it with, with Marvel shows, it, just the way that you're able to be in a longer format and tell these stories and give more layers to the universe, the world, characters, characters and, and people that you didn't think you needed to know more about or didn't think that you would ever considered more layered than you actually did, you are getting within Boba Fett right now, especially with the Tusken Raiders. And I think this was a, a great job within the writing that Jon Favreau did in this so far in layering the, the Tusken Raiders in a way that you just, you care about them more. And, and as you go through this episode, you learn more about their culture and their ways. And, and I just, I really love the way that he was able to do that. Also a major shout out has to go to Steph Green, who was the director of this episode. And she's done some television throughout the, the last couple of years. She's been a director on shows such as The American. She did a great job on episode five of Watchmen. And so she comes in with an expert knowledge on these big budgeted television productions. And I think if some people were worried about the direction of Robert Rodriguez last week, I think what Steph Green brings is not just great action sequences, but within the choir at a moment, she allows the characters to breathe and to be experienced in a way that allows audiences to digest the, these cultures and this material in ways that, uh, again, is very unexpected in, in the way that she's able to, I think, craft, again, great action action in the way that it's very long formatted, it's in long takes, not a lot of quick cuts. I think she does a great job in that. And, and also... There, there's not a whole there, there is dialogue obviously but one of the great things that also sticks out to me is the fact that the way that it, visually things are told to us in this show and it's also I think through the same way in Mandalorian as well where sometimes you won't have a whole lot of dialogue but you tell at words through actions and I think that's what this show does really well too and and I think this is more than just a, a simple crime show than what the the trailers and the promotional material has really come for us to expect with what we're going to be getting in this. I think it's going to be a lot more deeper than that. I think it's going to be about tribalism. I think it's going to be about territory and and also in how it affects the, the gang world and the underground world. I think there's going to be meaning to the show that we didn't even realize yet. And I think that's going to be a really terrific thing to explore with these shows that didn't we didn't even think Star Wars would be able to do stuff like this. Also, to to the cast real quick major shout out so far to Tamor Morrison who again the guy hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff but he's given this great platform with Star Wars once again to showcase just how terrific of an actor he is not just from a, a physicality standpoint which he does awesome amazing stunts within the action sequences but also just in the quieter moments and being able to introduce new layers to Bubba again that we didn't even think we needed and, and that we didn't even maybe potentially know about and we're going to continue to get with this show so far and I think just through two episodes you're starting to really see that he's not just a a, a bounty hunter who hunts and kills there, there's more meaning to him and from I love how we're exploring more things after episode six where he's not maybe the same guy that he was during Empire Strikes Back in the original trilogy or even before then he's somebody different now and I think we're exploring that and I think we're going to continue to see that as the show goes on also 
I know this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but as I listen to it more and more, I think by the end of this, I might enjoy the Boba Fett theme just a little bit more than the Mandalorian. With Mando's score, it took me a little bit to, to love it because at first I didn't know it didn't fit the Star Wars themes that I knew before, but I, as I got to know it more, it was creating its own mark, and, and, and I love it now, but it took me a little bit. Whereas with Boba Fett's, I've loved it from the very first episode, and, I, and it fits him, it fits the world around him, this very sinister tone in, in, in a way that Boba Fett, Boba Fett would have, and it just has this epic feel to it again that I think fits the, the tone of the show, and I'm loving it within just two episodes so far, and I think by the end, I think I could maybe just put it a little bit over Mandalorian. And again, still, Mando's is a great score. I want Ludwig Gorison to score every single thing in Star Wars nowadays just because of how great of a composer he really truly is and there's also some great easter eggs to also look out here for especially i think if you're a die-hard hardcore star wars fan that reads the comic books and and the books and watches the animated shows i think you're gonna see a lot of stuff in here that is translated over to live action that we that, that you haven't really seen before and again it lives up to what Favreau and Filoni are doing right now and, and also I have to give a shout out to them because again you see the work that they're putting into this and, and just the the partnership that both of them are having together uh, again I criticize Kathleen Kennedy all the time but sometimes she does some great things within Lucasfilm and this is one of them that I think is the true gold standard of Lucasfilm right now and is saving them is the partnership between these two guys and what they're able to bring where Filoni is able to bring the Star Wars mythology and then Favreau is able to balance that with telling this story right now and I think it's just working so incredibly well and the fact that they're bringing in all these different directors to work on this again raising the profile for some of these people like they did with someone like a Deborah Chow who went from directing two seasons or two episodes of season one of Mandalorian to now directing the entire series series and season of what we're going to be getting this year with Obi-Wan Kenobi so that's what these platforms platforms provide that's what they're doing and they're continuing to do that within this show and i think if you just look at this as a standalone singular episode i think it's phenomenal i think it's the one of the best things star wars has put out in a in a while period and also within the the canon of star wars television right now it certainly is i think one of the top things that they have come out with in a very very long time it was a strong episode i was shocked for how strong it was and i think it utilizes its runtime incredibly well it pays it out, I think, to a surprising amount, because even when you get, and this goes to the Marvel shows, and even with the with the finales of both Mando seasons, you usually will get 40 to 46 minutes, and even within that runtime, it usually can feel short, and like it just moves at a quick pace, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just one minute you're watching, then the next minute, the credits are rolling, whereas with this, I was, I felt myself watching it, and I'm like, I've been watching this for a while, and, 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 and it's still going, there's still 20 25 minutes left in this episode and so I think it was paced out in a really good way where again, we, were, we were able to breathe with these characters within this world and I don't know if we're going to get a another 50 minute episode next week if we're going to get 35 minutes next week or the week after who knows but I really like the fact that it's not just 
following the same format as Mando, but they're expanding beyond that, and they're they're telling the story the way that it needs to be told, and, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. I don't know where where we're going, but I am excited to see where things are headed, and I can only speculate and theorize. I already have some things that I'll talk about in the spoiler review next week that I'm really potentially excited about with where this show could go and how they're going to tie it in, not just into the and to everything with the Boba Fett in general, but also how it ties into Mandalorian. And, and again, one of the great things about what the show could do is that it doesn't just give new meaning to, the, to Boba Fett as a character, but also when you go back and watch specifically season two of Mandalorian, when you see the little time that we get with Boba, it'll have more meaning to it. You'll have more context and background. And again, when it comes to, to what Marvel's doing, it takes from that as well. And it's just working so incredibly well. So again, love this episode of, of Boba Fett. Cannot wait to get more of it down the line. And if you have not checked it out yet, I think if you watch these two episodes, it's a great great kind of opening salvo and the lead up to what we're going to get in the next month or so with this show. So again, what have you guys thought about episode two of the Book of Boba Fett titled The Tribes of Tatooine? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Have you seen it yet? Again, no spoilers. Just put your comments in the episode link that you see down below, or if you want to put on my Twitter feed, let me know as well and leave your thoughts. So moving on now away from a galaxy far, far away, and and I want to continue and stay with Disney Plus and go into our movie news segment, but I'm gonna transition it over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there was a story that came out about a day or so ago, and a lot of the trades are kind of recapping 2021, and specifically when it comes to the box office, a lot of the the, the tracking and, and analysis is coming in for what the box office really looked like, how much money was gained, how much was lost, and really kind of tallying it all up. And one of the interesting stories that came out from a deadline article was the story, the controversial story really, and the one that will probably be looked at for a long time to come when it comes to day and date release is the whole story of Disney releasing Black Widow on Disney Plus and in theaters day and date for a premier access fee of around $30. And at the time, it was understandable for what they wanted to do with the pandemic, but having the $30 on there, was it gonna work, was it not gonna work? Theaters were trying to get back to some kind of a mojo because at that point in the summer, again, we were dealing with Delta at that time period or the very beginning days of Delta. And so people were still a little hesitant to go back to the movies, but people felt safe enough to try to go back and follow the guidelines that theaters and theater change we're putting into effect and so people were wondering how it was going to do and at the beginning it did do well but as the weeks went on the legs kind of dissipated as it a lot of people were associating it with the day and date release that people were watching on streaming and that money that they could have gotten in theaters was basically being lost because people were basically paying for it on disney plus what could have been paying per person you were paying for one person was paying for potentially if you were doing a watch party or something for maybe 15 10 or 10 people or so if you were watching it in one room so that was what it was attributed it to as well but there were also and this goes to hbo max this goes to disney plus and anyone else that tried to do a day and day release one of the fears when it comes to the theatrical exhibitions 
wasn't just the fact that these films were being put on streaming services. It also meant what people, what it, what could be pulled from those streaming services, specifically the term pirating. And, and pirating is something that has been around movies and entertainment for a long, long time. Basically, when people go into theaters and record films and basically decide to put them on the black market and try to make a profit off of films instead of people going to theaters, they would basically buy DVDs of, let's face it, what would be just awful footage anyway of somebody of recording something sneakily of a screen that you could just easily pay money to go see and get the experience yourself but that's another story for another time but when it came when it comes to these streaming releases studio not studios but the, but theaters are very nervous in the fact that they're going to lose money not because of the streaming services but what the effects that come from it and that could be piracy where, where people are pulling and 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 releasing these on actual good quality images and they're basically pulling the, these films off of streaming and putting them online in crisp HD quality. And a lot of people are, are worried about that, especially when it comes to international markets where you could be making a profit, but people aren't going to be paying the money because they don't want to pay the money to go see it in theaters or they don't feel safe enough and they would rather watch a bootleg version of it if they decided to, to do that, which is wrong. And if you support the arts, you should support the arts in the way that it wants to be seen. And if it's on a streaming service and you pay for that streaming service, you should watch it on a, a streaming service. But again, to tie this all back into Black Widow, Basically, according to the deadline report, when they were collaborating, putting all this data together to look back on the 2021 box office, they reported that Black Widow potentially lost $600 million of profit at the box office, not just due to being on streaming day and date, but because of piracy issues involved in in the film, and that apparently around 20 million copies were made due to piracy effects. And... When looking at the data, it's understandable to see that. And, and when you look at the numbers, with 20 million copies or so, first off, the numbers themselves might be a little wonky because if you have 20 million people that are profiting off of this from piracy, I don't see how that equivalates to around $600 million. And I'm not a math major by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not really that well with numbers, but seeing that, I don't think maybe the overall, that might be what it actually is. It might be over-exaggerating a little bit. However, it's not so much, I think, the exact numbers as it is the meaning behind these numbers and what it could and why theaters are overtly concerned about this and how this eats into their profitability margins for some of these movies and why they want studios when it comes to especially their big blockbusters why they want to be put in theaters overdoing it over a streaming day and date release where either it's going to streaming or it's doing the simultaneous release at the same exact time. And so it brings up a very interesting question of, could we potentially see Disney put another Marvel movie on Premier Access? Because again, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the most profitable franchise especially as of right now and in, in all of Hollywood history, really, it, there's no other franchise quite like what it is doing in the 12 plus years that has been debuting since 2008. So 
are you going to put your most profitable franchise on there for theaters when you know that when you look at the data, especially from last year, around 30% of the box office makeup was from comic book movies. So there, and especially when you look at the success rate of films that came out, comic book movies were the ones that were driving the box office. And also it was the young demographic audience and the younger audiences gravitated to horror films and, and maybe some action films as well, but also to these comic book movies and what they're seeing on the screen. So... I think studios are, are, I think someone like Disney and even Warner Brothers, when they look at this stuff, they might just put these on date, on release in theaters as you're going to be seeing Warner Brothers move away from what they did in 2021 and move to 2022 to doing something like Universal is doing, where it's going to be a 45-day exclusive release in theaters and then moving over to what they're going to be doing and putting it over on HBO Max. So we could very well see maybe studios do that instead because I do think, again, the showcases that the theater business and putting in the theatrical exhibition business is still the most profitable way for these films to be able to come out. And I think Black Widow is going to become a study in that case of what could go wrong if these numbers don't hit and you have a potential way of profiting off in theaters and the best way to put it forward is in an exclusive theatrical setting and we saw what went off after this happened scarlett johansson and disney went into a legal dispute because scarlett johansson and her team thought that she lost out on a boatload of money that even during pandemic times especially in pre-pandemic times she would have brought in around 50 plus million dollars just for herself based off of the box office performance from that movie because it's not just the marvel cinematic universe but it's also because scarlett johansson and her character Natasha Romanoff are hugely popular at the moment and people want to go see her film. Now, whether they you get into the whole dispute between fans of not the right time, right time, do we need a film right now, it should be a prequel, that's another story for another day. But in terms of actually seeing the movie, I think people would have actually went to the movie theaters to see this because of the character, because of the star, because it's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it would have done a lot better than it actually did on day and date release streaming and also in theaters as well. So again, I think some of these numbers, especially within the, the loss column when it comes to $600 million off of 20 million pirated copies of the film, the numbers don't really, I, I don't think they really add up. I could be wrong, but seeing it, I just can't picture that kind of, not small number between $20 million, but that equivocating to losing around $600 million in, in profit, unless they're able to to math math in and and pencil in the amount of people that were watching these copies maybe you could equivocate that into it but we we don't know how much money i think was lost but again it, it still is a representative figure in the fear studios not studios but theaters had in theatrical day and date release and where it could go especially when we're still in the midst of the pandemic right now but Overall, what did you guys think about this this Disney report and the report that Black Widow lost a lot of money because of piracy and going day and day release? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now, the next bit of movie news that I want to talk about right now is a surprising casting shakeup that happened 
a couple days ago. And on, according to the Hollywood Reporter, on Scott Feinberg's podcast, I believe it's called Awards Chatter. And Scott Feinberg, for people who don't know, is a is a great awards season columnist, especially when it comes to Oscar season. I highly recommend checking his stuff out. He's really tapped into the industry. And on his podcast, especially for people that are in the thick of award season, that could be up for nominations and potential front runners to, to potentially win. He talks to a lot of people that have come out with films that you could be seeing make the rounds at a lot of these award shows. And one of the ones he just recently had on was Jodie Comer, who was just in a couple months ago, The Last Duel, and it, it was directed by Ridley Scott, who is definitely going to be in the name for award season, not just for The Last Duel, for The House of Gucci as well. It also starred Matt Damon and Adam Driver, Ben Affleck, and I really, really loved the film. Unfortunately, it did not do so well at the box office, and, and it was a colossal disaster in making any kind of money whatsoever. But she's definitely been in some more awards chatter as well, hence the name of the podcast, no pun intended. And so Scott Feimer was talking about her. And then after the episode dropped, you started seeing reports come out about Jodie Comer. And, and apparently when she was talking to Scott, I guess he brought up the question about her next film that she was going to be working on. And that was a new Ridley, Ridley Scott film with Joaquin Phoenix. And it was going to be called, it was Napoleon. It was about the, the, the French conqueror Napoleon. It was going to be this kind of glass gladiator s epic film that Ridley was going back into, and she was going to be playing Napoleon's wife, but it seems like she is pulling out of the film, and as she told Scott Feimer, because of scheduling issues, it seems like with a West End production that she has going on with them that is going to be taking up most of her beginning of 2022, she was not going to be able to fulfill both the obligations, and I guess she has a first look contract with the West End production over doing the Napoleon film. And also she cited COVID-19 issues as well and probably trying to go back and forth and contracting the disease. Maybe it wasn't going to work out logistically too. So it just seems like a lot of things were not in play here. And so then it got a lot of people speculating well, who's going to be taking over the role? And literally hours later, according to Deadline, it was reported that Vanessa Kirby, who just got an Oscar nomination last season for her leading role in Pieces of a Woman, is also going to be the star or is in talks to be the star and lead opposite Joaquin Phoenix and take over that role that Jodie Comer had. So again, sometimes you get somebody, you have to replace somebody with, with a performer that you think is going to be do a really good job. And again, sometimes you get somebody that is still good, but sometimes could be a little less and maybe not as good as you would hope for. And maybe it's not the same caliber of what you had before. And I said this about Johnny Depp and, and Mads Mikkelsen, where say what you want about Johnny Depp and, and all the crazy issues that he's involved in right now. But when you looked at him for a while, he was a really good actor. And you could understand why he was cast in this role. But... It's not like you took a step down when you gave up the gave the took the role away from Johnny Depp because of everything that was going on. You had to move on from him. You gave it to I think a superior actor. All due respect to, to Johnny Depp and the career he's had, but Mads Mikkelsen is a way better, more talented performer than Johnny Depp is. And so I think it was a huge step up for them to get Mads Mikkelsen to do that kind of role. And again, I'm not saying it's leaps and bounds between Jodie Comer and Vanessa Kirby, but I think they're both on the same cast. 
caliber. They're both fantastic actresses. They do incredible work overall. And I think you basically even eleven the playing field. I think you replace one great performer with another great performer. And I think Vanessa Kirby, especially after seeing what she did with Pieces of a Woman, I think she's going to line up and do a great job alongside Joaquin Phoenix and will be able to, I think, match the, the talent of Joaquin with Vanessa Kirby. And I think it's going to create a really good yin and yang performance. And I think you'll see that come across on on screen. And so it's, it's a damn shame that Jodie Comer couldn't do it. But you understand between COVID-19 right now and the surge that's happening and the scheduling con- conflicts, it seems like people still with the pandemic have to pick their poison of what they want to do right now it seems like that was really the case here i don't sometimes when you read that someone's dropping out for scheduling issues it's more than just that and that's just kind of the lipstick they're putting on the pig to make it kind of feel better and go away until people dig deeper with that kind of stuff this doesn't seem to be that case at all it it seems to genuinely be that jody comer just just didn't have the time she couldn't fit in the schedule at least at this point than what she probably thought she was going to be able to do when she first signed on. So it's just an it's just an unfortunate circumstance. But again, I think you replace one great actress with another one alongside Joaquin Phoenix. I'm still looking forward to what this film is going to be. And I think people are going to be amazed at, oh, wow, they found somebody within a matter of time. I, I think this is probably something that was in the works for probably the last month or so. But again, this wasn't like it was a, a, a news story that broke. It was on a podcast and I'm sure the podcast was recorded probably before the holiday break came about so they had some time to work it up get it ready because right because I get notifications for this podcast and right as the podcast note came up on, on my phone a couple minutes later the Hollywood Reporter came out with the story so it was probably a simultaneous release and something that probably happened probably a little over a month ago because when Ridley Scott was doing press for House of Gucci he was still talking about working with with Joaquin and Jody for the film so I'm sure probably end of November, beginning December is when this probably occurred. And they're now just in final negotiations. I'm sure they were searching for somebody and then they landed on Vanessa Kirby. And now they're in the, the final talks to getting her on board to work on, on the project. So I'm really happy about it. Again, I, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing this movie. Ridley Scott's been teasing some great action and battle sequences that he's doing. He's going back to what he did with, with Gladiator and that kind of time period. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to be doing with this film. But again, sad to see that Jodie Comer will be a part of it, but I'm really excited to see what Vanessa Kirby is going to be doing on this film. What do you think about the casting shakeup? Do you like it? Do you think there could have been another performer that you would have put in this role? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to a few trending trailers that I want to get into real quick before we close out the podcast. I want to talk about real quick a a television trailer that just came out and it's for I think one of the big TV series that's set to come out this year really especially in the first half of 2022 and it's a limited series. It's called Pam and Tommy and it's really about the marriage of superstars in in the 80s and 90s Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and it follows the release after their infamous sex tape was released on the internet, unauthorized, unbeknownst to them at the time when it was released. And it's really kind of based around the relationship and the fallout from that and really how it was really kind of the first big cultural 
kind of scandal in a way that was put on the internet as we see those pop up every day now this was kind of one of the first big ones to come out and, and take a private moment between these two big stars that were well known publicly in a relationship and put it onto onto the internet onto computers and again we see that happen all the time now with paparazzi but this was one of those first instances that really kind of changed everything and it's directed by Greg Gillespie who if you know I Tanya and Cruella if you watch this trailer it has that same kind of a tone where it's very much playful and, and funny and has that 80s kind of vibe to it which it is taking place around the, the 80s 90s so it makes sense why it would have that but it has very much a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of vibe to it but also very serious and, and I think the the story that it is telling as well. I think the big takeaway, and it's been that way since seeing behind the scenes photos of the shoot of this show, is that Lily James looks absolutely unrecognizable in this role. And even from the way that she talks, her mannerism, she is Pamela Anderson. And I think she could very well not just be on her way to getting an Emmy nomination, but I could definitely see her winning the Emmy as well, just from the way that it seems like she's carrying herself throughout this entire show, just based on the trailer. And I, Again, for Hall, I know she could not be good at it, and Sebastian Stan might not be good, but from the trailers, I'm really, really digging what I'm seeing from her. I, I really love Sebastian Stan in this. It's great to see Seth Rogen and Nick Offerman in this as kind of the, the guys who are able to obtain the sex tape and are the ones that put it out onto the internet. But it, it looks like a lot of fun. And again, I think we're this could be the next big event show of, of right now where I think people could be talking about this and looking Looking forward to it and anticipating it moving forward. It is coming out on Hulu, so it'll probably be a weekly release of episodes, which is a smart way to go. And it'll be premiering on February 2nd of this year. So it's only like a, a couple weeks away, really, a month or so really away from debuting. So we'll see what happens. We'll see the ramp up for it, but really, really excited about Pam and Tommy. The next trailer that I want to talk about is moving away from television and into the film world and it's the latest trailer for the next Roland Emmerich film Moonfall which stars Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson and it's basically about these two astronauts and a conspiracy theorist that have to work together to stop the moon from basically killing the earth because there's this entity on the moon that is trying to cause all this mayhem and havoc and they have to stop that havoc from destroying the world, which basically is like every single Roland Emmerich film that has come out. And again, I don't think this is going to be a great film. I don't think people are going to come out loving it. But what Roland Emmerich does is he just makes really good popcorn films for the most part. I think he's definitely taken some missteps here and there. But when you look at films like, of course, Independence Day, Day After Tomorrow, you look at 2012 and, 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 and I believe it was Midway yeah, Midway when it came out, he just and White House Down as well. He just think they're really good fun popcorn films that you can go in and enjoy have a good time for about an hour really kind of two hours maybe two and a half hours sometimes which is a little long but still you enjoy yourselves and you come out having a lot of fun with a smile on your face maybe and maybe wanted to go see it again or wait until it comes out on, on dvd or something and watch it whenever you have a chance and it seems like that's exactly what this film is as well where he's basically taking what he knew from independence day and turning it into an Independence Day Armageddon deep impact kind of a film basically and you, you have a really good cast in this film it looks like a lot of fun 
IMAX. I'll probably check it out on that format, but that's really all it looks like. And what's really impressed me about this too is that between this and Midway, Roland Emmerich so far in the last couple of years has been producing his own movies. And he gets these major studios like a Lionsgate, which is is distributing domestically this movie here in the United States. They don't have to pay a cent for it. It's all from his studio. It's all independently produced. So they don't have to worry about the $140 million that this film doesn't profit. And so I think that's really impressive that Roland Emmerich is basically making this money up by himself and grassrooting it and he was able to corral all of this together so i really enjoy that and i think it's something to take when you're successful in this industry and people don't want to do your work but if you're successful enough and people like your movies and and actors like your movies you'll be able to, you'll be able to get the financing that you need to make these films so I think, I think Moonfall looks like a lot of fun and enjoyable, and I think it's going to be a big blockbuster spectacle that people can have fun with at the theaters, which I think we all need right now with everything that's going on in the world. But I, again, looked like a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Not anticipating it, but just looking forward to what could be a potentially fun film. What did you guys think about these trailers that came out? Which one was your potential favorite? Was it the Pam and Tommy trailer? Or was it the Moonfall trailer? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is doing my weekly weekend preview of things that are coming out this weekend. And again, this is the first true weekend of 2022. I know last week we had Saturday and Sunday and it was January 1st and 2nd, but this is really kind of the first weekend into the new year where it's going to be brand new movies coming out on Thursday nights, moving into Friday, and that'll be within the month of January and the first big weekend of the new year. And there's really only one film that's set to come out this weekend that I think people are going to look at or really be advertised. And that is the much delayed, finally here, action adventure spy thriller directed by Simon Kingberg. And that is The 355, which has... Even if you're not interested in the film, the lineup is unmatched. It features an all-female, well, not all-female. There are some males in this film, but the main cast is led by an all-female cast that includes Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, and it's also led by Sebastian Stan and Edgar Ramirez as well. And so this is one that I, I haven't all really been looking forward to, mainly because... Uh, Simon Kingberg has been very iffy for me, and if you watch his films, the last thing he truly did was X-Men Dark Phoenix, and that was an unmitigated disaster. So for me going into this movie, it's a little bit iffy, but I do give it calls to pause because I am a big fan of this cast. And, and again, kind of like with Moonfall in a way, if we can just deliver a fun, entertaining spy thriller, I'll be fine going into the film. So as long as it delivers on that for me, I'll look forward to it, but unfortunately, to really kind of no surprise, it does have a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Not great reviews, but again, to me, that is not shocking whatsoever. That's kind of really kind of what I was expecting for this movie, especially for it being to to have it be pushed out from last year when it was set to be released, to have it released on the first weekend of January. And again, January is starting not to become that 
full dumpster fire of a month that that all the bad films usually come out in but it still has that that reputation and especially that for the first weekend of the new year has that and i think that's what this is i think universal just wants to dump it get rid of it and it seems like that's what this is leading up to in the lead up to probably the most anticipated now film of the month with scream next weekend but this weekend it seems like the 355 is the main focus so again if you're looking for an entertaining female-led spy film this seems like based based on the trailers if you're looking for a fun time it seems like it's going to be that but if you're looking at Rotten Tomatoes it might be a little iffy if you feel safe going to the movies probably better to stay away from that there's some other great stuff out there like Spider-Man No Way Home West Side Story there's some really really good stuff out there if you feel safe going to the cineplexes this weekend but again other than that there's really nothing else to look forward to again next weekend is is truly the big weekend to start off the new year with Scream but I think this weekend probably stay home watch some Netflix maybe or or again go to some of these older films that are out there that have been out for the last couple of weeks but all in all that is the weekend preview for this upcoming weekend and that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Gold Driven Professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check Check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzel Mania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. Find me on Twitter, episode Sammy and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, you can find me on my YouTube channel at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.